Through their investment in the Minnesota Corn Checkoff, corn growers are fueling research and initiatives that build a more sustainable future for farmers and all Minnesotans. The Minnesota Corn Podcast introduces you to the individuals who are shaping future ag practices, identifying new markets, and promoting agriculture with the non-farming public. Our guest for this episode is Michaela Tabert, who farms near Red Lake Falls in northwest Minnesota. If you're not familiar with the area, it's up in northwest Minnesota, about 45 miles east of Grand Forks. And we obviously have a cool climate sometimes, so that kind of has impacted some of our cover crops, and that's kind of what we're here to discuss today. Um, As far as farm history, my grandpa started this operation, and when my dad took over in the 90s, about when he switched over to more so no-till and strip-till on some of the row crops. And kind of through that, I I grew up in an operation that was mostly no-till, and that's not usual for my area, so that maybe perspective is different than a lot of other growers. And over the last decade or so, we've been integrating cover crops into our farm rotation. Well, that gives us kind of a, a good lay of the land, if you will, to talk about a project. Uh, I believe it's an innovation grant project through Minnesota Corn. Michaela, give us an overview. Yeah. So this trial actually began in 2019, back when the Soil Health Partnership, which was an initiative mostly funded by the National Corn Growers Association, and they began that with the the goal of having some long-term cover crop trials. There's a lot of research that are short-term, and it's hard to quantify differences in soil. So kind of the purpose of doing this, and, and we were not the only farm, it, there was many across the, the nation. And the goal was to try to quantify economic and soil benefits in that time. Now, it was the soil partnership was disbanded in 2021. And that year, we had done the sampling and kind of wanted to continue the trial. So reached out to Minnesota corn growers and they agreed to fund it and have been continuing to fund it since then. Um, And our trial, it's essentially a replicated trial with um, four replicates with just two treatments that one treatment has cover crops every year and the other treatment has no cover crops every year. And it's a, it's a to scale strip trial. So it's over about 25 acres is the actual area of the, the, the plot, the treatments anyways. You should have a, a decent amount of data then at this point. What are some of the key findings? I don't think we've seen big changes in the, the soil. And some of that is we haven't done all of the testing. The, at the beginning of the experiment, we did... Um, some soil health testing through the Cornell Soil Health Lab and some on the Haney's, which we plan at the end of the experiment to to test again to really see that. We've been tracking profitability and yield, and I think overall we haven't seen much for difference. I don't think there's been yield differences except for 2022 last year. We, we did experience a yield loss in the cover crop, and I think that was kind of a management problem that we, we didn't manage it as well as it could have been, but that, that's kind of what we've experienced so far. Yeah, a broad question, but I think it opens up the door to really dig in with cover crops, sort of the mm-hmm. pros and cons that you found with using them. So the reason we started doing cover crops was, so I mentioned my dad switched to no-till and, and strip-till about before I was born, really in the early 90s and some of that reasoning was to try to increase the organic matter because that really is shows there's a lot more available and you know that's usually an indicator of better yields 
and he then he did want to reduce erosion. And the no-till really took care of the erosion stuff, but the soil organic matter really wasn't changing. So that was the hopes in using cover crops. Um, our operation is pretty diverse crop-wise, and then we also have livestock. So for us, it's really a no-brainer to have cover crops because we can graze it with livestock. It's, it's a pretty easy return on investment in the, in the short term to be able to extend our grazing season. Uh, I guess other other benefits would be being able to improve like your your water infiltration rate. And it's, it's sometimes it's not so much about how much rain you get, but how much rain you can actually get into your soil profile. So that's that's a a, a benefit of cover crops that's been seen, and and just being able to feed your soil biology and keep your nutrients cycling would be other benefits. But there are obviously some complications that makes things a lot harder sometimes. Um, being able to, so it's another management thing for sure. You have to have the labor to, to do it, to feed the cover crop and, um, herbicide programs can be difficult too, especially when you're grazing. There's a lot of herbicides that we can't use because they have rotational restrictions or grazing restrictions. So, but, but overall, I, I think we're a big advocate for them, but it's, it's definitely not something that you just throw out there and willy nilly and, and just do it. It definitely takes some thought process and management. Absolutely. And as far north as you are, it's a fairly small window. So walk us through the timing on seeding, how you seed the cover, and then you're grazing that cover crop, but also during doing um, a termination of it. You mentioned the different herbicides. So just walk us through that whole process. <laughs> That's a very big question, you know, Mark. That's my job. So, <laughs> we so we have a very diverse crop rotation, and really, the easiest start for using cover crops for us is after spring wheat. And 2012 is when my dad put in his first cover crop. That would have been my senior year of high school, so I wasn't super involved at that point in time. But it, it was a, it was a drought year. Wheat came off very early, and then. I'm not sure what kind of cost share there was, but there was some governmental cost share that he got the seed for a cover crop and it was kind of a perfect storm, got the right moisture right away, got a pretty moist fall. It was just, it's probably one of those falls that even your, you know, your volunteer wheat would be very substantial in growth. And so it was, it looked great and we got a lot of cow feed out of that. And he still talks about how much more mellow that soil was to plant into the following spring. And so that was kind of what springboarded us into doing it. We had, a, we had a good first experience. And so doing it after wheat was was easy as far as timing. Um, now I would actually say it's one of our hardest times because we're disappointed with the amount of growth just because it gets to be late, obviously. Um, so that kind of led us into using, I think we got a couple equip contracts over the last last 10 years or so and in those those programs were basically to have cover crop on a, a certain field for five years and so yeah in a wheat year or something like that originally we were just corn soybeans and wheat that was easy but in corn and soybeans it's quite difficult yeah the window is tight um i mean by the time our corn comes off there's the ground is frozen we often have snow on the ground here and so we we tried aerial seeding which could work, but it, it really was, I don't know, so hit or miss and disappointing as far as results by the time you put the seed out. And so that was kind of what pushed us into the interseeding 
idea. Just and there are a lot of there's there's just no season, so we have to do it during the growing season. And so that was our second equip contract that we kind of we enrolled more acres to try to compensate developing an inner cedar that we could see the cover crop at the same time as side dressing nitrogen. So that was that's kind of what we have been doing. Um, so we do that on the corn. We usually try to seed that cover crop in the V4 to V5 stage, and, and we're doing a 28% UAN nitrogen at the same time. We've got pretty light soil, so we, we need to solidify our nitrogen here for sure. Um, we started doing that in our sunflower, which we've only grown sunflower since 2019 or so. And that was kind of the same similar thing. Um, I actually did a I'm completing a master's right now, and, and part of my thesis research was on some on-farm stuff and looking when to seed cover crops in sunflower. And then soybean has been a difficult one. We've we've ran the inner seeder through, but so soybean can have a pretty pretty large canopy. So we have mostly moved to seeding just the winter rye. That's the only thing that's going to do anything after soybean harvest. And it's late. It's definitely very late. And sometimes we barely see that germinate. But winter rye is kind of an impressive cover crop that it really doesn't have to do much in the fall and it still comes back in the spring. So that's kind of what we've switched to doing on our soybean acres. So overall, we're, we're trying to get a cover crop on every acre every year now. We, we didn't start there. This has been pretty much a 10-year journey that we've increased things and experiments experimented a lot, had some good successes and definitely had some failures. But it's something that I would say we've bought into and seen benefits from doing that it's worth doing. Especially, like I said, with our cow herd, it's it's easier to cash flow it in a one-year term. So winter rye, a cover crop, what are some of the other species that you've at least toyed around Mm -hmm. with and some of the mixes that you think work best? Yeah, um, it, it really depends obviously on goals and when it's being seeded and where it is in the crop rotation. Um, we, I don't know. I, I think if someone else said it first, we call it a shotgun approach that we generally have eight to 10 species in a cover crop mix. Like, for example, as it gets later in season, when we know things aren't going to grow, like after soybean harvest, we pull a lot of those out. It's not worth the cost and winter rye would be the only thing that establishes. But um, we've seen really good growth from like flax is probably our favorite cover crop. I don't think I've ever seen it not show up and not grow. Um, like I said, winter cereal rye. We really like annual ryegrass in our corn interseedings. Um, but some something with cover crop species is to, to realize that some things can become a weed and overwinter. And annual ryegrass is one of those that can overwinter and can be a little bit more difficult to kill in a burn down. Um, we, we've seen it only really over winter when we don't graze it though whenever we graze it it's gone it seems like for some reason um the but some of the brassica species like radish and turnip and kale have been good additions that you get a, a pretty good return on the investment on those and then we like some of the hairy vetch and clovers but they're definitely some ones that you would use in in consideration of how you're going to be able to control that because it could become a weed we usually will do that when some when wheat is coming into the rotation because it's easier to control there. And, um, we also have used some of the broad leaves like um, buckwheat, cowpea, even sunflower in some of our longer seasons. Sort of, we've done some full season cover crops to graze, which 
which has worked some, but I, I think it's hard to produce enough biomass. And then we have actually interseeded some of those even into our corn silage pretty early to try to have a more diverse mix in our corn silage. So it, like I said, it, it, it really kind of depends on our goal. Or I would say every year we're tweaking things and we're, we're going in and evaluating what's, what's really there from what we seed to try to get an ideal stand. Let's spend some time on soil filtration, and I believe your innovation grant project is looking at tile drainage, right? No, we, we have tile drainage in a, a different field, but the, the field we're working on for the innovation grant is there's no drainage at this point in time. I, I think it's a field that we are considering tiling in the future, and my my hope by improving our infiltration with the cover crops that we we wouldn't really need that tile drainage anymore. Uh, Michaela, what advice would you give others who are looking at implementing cover crops? I probably have a lot of advice to give, but my my biggest one is just to try it because, and and on a small scale, like you have to be able to sleep that night for sure. And we have some smaller fields that we've done things, or even just some portions of the field that maybe we're out a thousand bucks or something, but like that we're not going to lose the farm on that. But but still, I would say to try it because. How I look at it is every every year that we we don't try something we've we've lost another year as far as being able to improve our our practices with that and I, I kind of think of it as like a research and development kind of program that we have on our farm just like other you know businesses have that as well. Um, I would also say to find someone that's doing it hopefully close by but that's not always possible. There's definitely not a lot of us doing these sort of things, but there's there's people out there and, and things like social media, there's a lot of people on Facebook or Twitter posting about what they're doing. And it, it helps if someone can understand your context because even what, what we do here on our farm isn't going to work for my neighbor necessarily. It really has to be tailored to your your individual um, goals and soils and what, what you have in your crop rotation. Um, which yeah you you need to know your goals and then i i know a mistake we have made in the past is to be aware that some of these cover crop species some some of the ones that we've i i think are still worth using in certain instances they can still become a weed and to have really a a pretty good plan there's a lot of management that goes into cover crops and you, you really have to almost manage it like a cash crop you can't just just throw it out and not really have a plan. It really has to plant fit into your what your crop rotation is going to be. What crop are you, are you going to follow it with? How are you going to control it and, and kill it if it's going to winter, overwinter or produce seed? Well, if you talked about this earlier and I missed it or, or maybe misunderstood, mm-hmm. Michaela, but in reading about the, the research, uh, there's a mention of extended rotation. What are we talking about there? Um, so... It's, we're trying to do this, it's a, it's a five-year rotation. So in our five-year rotation, which it's not what our, our rotation is always, but it's, it's kind of an example of it. We started in 2019 with this trial, and it was corn. And for the cover crop treatments, the, the, which was, like I said, replicated four times, we had, so then we had four strips that had a cover crop interseeded at the V4 to V5 stage. Following corn, we went to soybeans the following year, and there was a little bit of cover crop that did overwinter, but being no-till, we do a, a 
a burn down herbicide pass regardless. So it it was just something to make sure. I, th- I think it was some some winter cereal rye and maybe a little clover that overwintered. So those were, were pretty easy to control with our, our normal herbicide program. That soybeans, we actually interceded with a cover crop, which worked actually in that instance. But I think we've kind of moved away from that. Um, 2021 was wheat with a rye-based cover crop and the cover crop treatment. There was more in it, but it was mostly winter cereal rye. Um, 2022, last year was sunflower, and we interceded the cover crop around the stage of the sunflower, and then 2023 is corn. So it's really just rotation with cover crops in it instead of using multiple fields. It's staying in one field looking at a five-year crop rotation. And this is going to be the the system moving forward, it sounds like. So, and, and I know I asked you early on about benefits of cover crops, so maybe it's repeating a little bit here, but as far as this extended rotation and some of the benefits that you've been able to note, what would you highlight? One I would definitely highlight is weed control. I, I think we've, we've really seen it. We really try not to have it happen, but things happen. You get a late year or whatever that, for example, when we go back to soybeans every other year or something, that we have a lot more weed pressure. I, I, I don't know why exactly, but I really see in a more extended crop rotation. And I, I think the cover crop kind of helps by having in diversity and, and kind of taking up some of the growing spaces, but we're seeing a much lower weed pressure and we're really able to get away with a, a much less costly um, herbicide program for sure. Um, and but like I said, we, we're trying to run our cattle on as many acres as we can and extend our growing season. So that's been a, a great benefit to us. But obviously, a, a farmer that doesn't have livestock in their operation is not going to experience that. But I really think the weed control is is going to be a reason for people to start adapting some cover crops into their rotations or, or to extend the, the crop rotation even with a third crop as, as we have more resistant weed issues. You talked about the Soil Health Partnership sort of getting this project off the ground and, and SHP no longer around. But Minnesota Corn has now helped to support what you're working on. It, it seems like it's been a, a really good partnership. With Minnesota Corn, definitely. They've they've been really great to work with. And um, Minnesota Wheat, Melissa Carlson, has kind of been helping because she's, she's right here local and she's been helping with some of the data collection and it's been they've been really great to work with and I we really appreciate their support to continue this because I think it's 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 something that's not done very often a long-term large-scale study for cover crops uh, in, in some ways I kind of had wished that I would have better results as far as reporting yields and profitability and although I don't think it's been a huge loss I, I don't we've not experienced some of these gains that get talked about so I I'm hopeful that when we do some of these soil health testings that we'll see some differences there. But it still is, I don't know, encouraging to see that there's not a yield loss in three of the four years from the, the cover crop. Well, this has been a fantastic deep dive on a topic that so many farmers have questions about. Anything else, though, that we haven't touched on that you think is important? Um, one thing I should discuss, so the, the one year that we did have the lower yield was 2022, which which obviously was a difficult year for us up in this region. Is I've never seen a spring so late. We didn't even start planting corn until after our crop insurance 
date was cut off. So we were a day or two late on that. It was just very late. And so I think early on things looked really good. So it had been wheat in 2021 and we seeded a winter rye based cover crop. So that winter rye over winter. And when we did the spring soil sampling, it was impressive to me how much more solid the fields were that had cover crops. This as far as trafficability that we were making minor ruts just driving the ATVs on the control treatments that didn't have cover crops. And in my mind, that's a big deal because we're no-till and you can't fix your sins of ruts. But, so it, it was just amazing. And I think we could have planted that field much sooner had it all been cover cropped. However, the, the cover crop got to be pretty grocery by the time we planted June 6th, I believe. And so it was like heading out. And so it was a solid seeded stand and it was very well established. And so the sunflower that we seeded into it really struggled. It was behind, it was stunted. And, and I think when that rye was, was terminated and, and they've seen this going into corn as well, that there can be some stunting and then there was grasshopper and crickets that seemed to almost be harbored in, in that, that killed cereal rye. So that was, very unfortunate and we definitely saw a yield drag in the, the sunflower yield that year so um, we've kind of went into to, to try to manage that in that that we'd like to plant our winter shield rye in pear grows so they they have our 1890 drill that they change some of the plumbing that it can be two rows of the winter shield rye and we could have two years two rows of something that would winter till to try to to decrease the amount of residue that the the sunflower or corn would be going through and, and we've been doing that in corn we just didn't do it for the sunflower unfortunately that year but it's there's 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 definitely difficulties that can happen with cover crops and that, that's I think that's why it's important to to only only do what, what lets you sleep at night I guess that experimentation is a it's definitely a thing that you have to do because it, it really is different in every environment, I would say. Or talk to people that are doing it and have experienced things. To learn more about the Innovation Grant Program, visit mncorn.org.